Thanks for checking out the First Monroe Podcast. Our hope is that you are restored by the gospel as you live devoted to Jesus. I want to ask you a question um, to start out for you to think about. This is, uh, you just don't answer out loud, I just want you to think about it. Of course, when I was looking down, my man, we're going to start out heavy right off the get-go. But I want you just to think about these questions Um, and then we'll kind of go from here, all right? What right now is causing you to be anxious? Or I could phrase it a different way. What is right now robbing you of peace? What is robbing you of peace? So think about it real quick. Right now in your life, what is causing you to be anxious? Or what in your life is robbing you right now of peace? You may be here and you say, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. If you're that person, congrats. Um, I'm glad you're that person, right? But I would be willing to bet that a lot of us, when I ask you that question, you're like, you know, do we have all day to, to list some things of things that make me anxious or things that are robbing me of peace? Because I think all of us, I think it, at, if we really stop just to really answer that question, what is robbing us of peace or what is causing us to be anxious, I think there are some things probably that immediately come to our mind right, right off the bat. Things like maybe the season of life you're in and maybe you wish you weren't in that season. Maybe you wish the seasons would change in your life. Maybe it's something you've been praying for over and over and over again and you still have yet to hear God answer your prayer. Maybe it's something with your kid. Maybe it's a younger kid. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's don't know what to do. Maybe it's an older kid, adult child. It's something, something with that you're just like, I don't know what to do. Maybe it's a situation in your family. Maybe it's something work-related. Maybe it's something financial. Maybe it's something spiritual. Really, frankly, it could be a lot of things, couldn't it? And the question really that I want us to think through and ask through is what do we do when we encounter these moments? And, and we will. It's not like if we'll encounter these moments, we will. We'll encounter moments where we feel anxious. There are moments where we feel like we are being robbed of peace, that we, you know, we hear like God promising peace and all these kind of things, and you're like, that's just not one word to describe my life right now is peace. And maybe you feel robbed of that. Maybe you feel anxious and you just, it doesn't matter what you do, you just feel this anxiousness is like always there below the surface. And so my question that I want us just to process and think through is like, how can we find peace in desperate situations? Like, what do we do in this? And so this is exactly what we're going to look at and exactly what we find when we turn to the very first chapter of 1 Samuel. And so I'm going to give it to you up front, but if you take notes this morning, here is the point that I hope you see this morning as we walk through the text, and it's simply this. When we seek the Lord in our desperation, He will meet us with His presence and peace. When we seek the Lord in our desperation, He will meet us with His presence. And that's as, I, as I say that statement, like obviously that's a statement, but here is my, my prayer that I've prayed for myself this week, and I'm praying for you even now, that it wouldn't just be a statement on a screen, But even as we think through and talk through this, that God would meet you with his presence and God would meet you with his peace. That it's not just this theory, but that actually as we walk through the text and see that this is real life and that you can actually encounter God's peace 
and God's presence, no matter the circumstance, no matter what caused you to be anxious, no matter the thing that feels like robbing you of your peace at this moment. And so here's what I'm going to do. Before we jump into 1 Samuel, I want to read one verse, or actually it's two verses, but I want to read a verse just so that I just want to read up front here. I just want you to keep it in the back of your mind as we go throughout this as we go throughout this message this morning. So it's a typical verse that you may be familiar with. It's a verse typically we pray about, we talk about when we're struggling with anxiety. And so what we're going to see this morning is this verse is actually lived out in 1 Samuel chapter 1. But I want to go ahead and read it to you now just so that you hear it, and then we'll think about it at the end. All right, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a very comforting verse. It's a verse that you may be familiar with. But what I hope you see is what we're going to look in First Samuel is the textbook of what that actually looks like in real life, in real time, in real situations. Because I think when you hear that, hey, don't be anxious. Just pray. You're like, that didn't help me. I mean, what are you talking about? Don't be anxious. You know, if somebody tells you don't be anxious, you're like, well, I don't think in the history everybody's been like, hey, don't be anxious. And you're like, you know what, I'm not anxious anymore. Thank you for telling me that, right? I mean, and so when we hear verses like this, they're great verses. They're great verses to quote. They're great verses to look at. They're great verses to memorize. They're great verses to have around the house. But really, when you think about it practically, like, does this work practically, like, in real life, in real situations? And what I hope you see this morning as we walk through 1 Samuel is we're going to see a situation where this is lived out in real time, and, and this is the truth. So I want you to keep that, that verse in your mind as we walk through this, okay? So here's what we'll do. Walk through 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20 is what we'll look at today. And basically this story that we're going to look at, there's three basic movements to the story. And so I want us to look at those three movements in the story. And at the end, there's going to be two takeaways that I want to give us to kind of take away this morning from what we looked at. Okay, so that's how we'll look at it. So uh, if you want to take notes, first movement that we see in the story that we're going to look at is desperate times. So this is the scene, the setup. So if you were with us last week, just to remind you, as we gave an intro into 1 Samuel, is the situation that Israel is facing at this point is a desperate situation. So if you'll remember, we talked about this, this idea of Judges, the book of Judges, bleeds straight into 1 Samuel. And so these are linked together, and there's a special verse at the end of Judges to kind of give the context of the situation of what's going on moving into 1 Samuel. And so I want to read it again. Judges 21, verse 25 says, In those days... There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so there was a lot of brokenness in Israel leading up in the Judges. If you've read through it, it just seems like depravity and brokenness just seems to multiply in the story of Judges. And so at this time, there is brokenness. Israel has rejected God as their king, and there is no king in Israel. Frankly, it's desperate times. And so if you finish the book of Judges... Moving into 1 Samuel, the big question is, okay, then what is God about to do? Because we know this. God is not a God that, that leaves us in our desperation. God, even when we're faithless, God remains faithful. And so the question kind of leading out of Judges is, hey, what is God about to do? How is God going to meet this desperate season? And so 1 Samuel 1 begins to tell this story of how God is about to move to answer in these desperate moments God's promises, His presence, all these things, and how He's going to meet this in desperate times. But... This story starts different than I think we would think. So I think there's no king in Israel, and so I think here's the way, I, or this is the way I picture it. First Samuel starts, the very first chapter is supposed to be about the birth of a king. And that's not the way that First Samuel starts. 
It actually starts with this story of a very desperate woman. And it's this thing I think that we can all connect with and relate to, and it's this simple story of this obscure place, this kind of obscure woman in the midst of all these times, and how God moves in her desperate situation. And so I want us to look at this, all right? If you look at verse 1, it tells us there was a man, uh, Elkanah is his name. You think the story is going to be about him, but it's not. It's not about him. Verse 2, look at it, and uh, this is where it picks up, where it zooms into who we're going to look at in this story. He says, this guy had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Banana, which that sounds weird to say that. Sounds like banana, um, but anyway, that's her name. All right, so Banana had children, and then it says this, but Hannah had no children. And so the story zooms in on this, on this, this again, you, you, how is God going to answer all these things? And it zooms in on this very particular woman named Hannah who is barren. And Hannah, in this scene, is in a very desperate, hopeless situation. She can't have children. Now, the Jewish Talmud would say this, and this is rough, but in the Jewish context, this is the way they regarded people that didn't have, that were barren. As a person without children, this is the way it states in the Jewish Talmud, it says the person without children was as good as dead. That's rough. Now, there's several reasons why this is the case. So children and sons, particularly sons, but children of, of, of families meant a good financial situation. So you had a lot of work to do. The more children you had, particularly the more sons you had, the more favorable outcome it was for your family. So if you wanted your family to prosper the way you did that practically, she had children. And so this is this, is this scene, and she didn't have any children. In this, they didn't have retirement programs. They didn't have Social Security back then. And so kids were the retirement plan. And so if you wanted a good retirement plan, have a lot of children. And so as it seems to be this case of Hannah, she doesn't have any of these prospects. And another reason why they viewed this as this idea, someone who was barren was as good as dead, is because if you think back to Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of Abraham and the nation of Israel, there is this promise that is given to that nation, and they are to multiply. And so what people viewed as, if you had the ability to multiply and produce children, you were furthering the promise of God for this nation. So, in everyone's eyes, Hannah is viewed as someone who is worthless because of her situation. If you actually go down there, you don't have to look there, but if you go down to verse 16, as we'll look at in a second, Eli, she's talking to Eli, and she actually makes this statement to Eli, the priest, and says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. So just on the get-go, everyone views her as worthless. She in herself, almost having to convince other people, don't view me this way, as worthless because of her situation, because of her barrenness. And so this was a struggle for her. And so we just needless to say, Hannah's in a desperate situation. The story continues. Look down at verse 4. It says, On the day that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to notice it says, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. The Lord had closed her womb. Now this is one of those verses, and I'm not going to unpack all of this right now. We can talk about it after if you want to if you want to sit down. We can, that'd be a good conversation for us to have over coffee. But this is one of those statements that's listed in there that you're just like, wait, what? Did I read that right? It says that the Lord closed her womb. And then it says as her rival, the other wife used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
So it went by year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, that she used to, be, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept, would not eat. Now Hannah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten sons? Now, just time out from the story for a second. I mean, you know, A-plus for his effort. Um, you know, I see myself in this story of this husband, you know, again, uh, you know, I think back to Kirsten, like, never in the history of our marriage have I been like, if she's been upset, I'm like, hey, don't be upset. Has she just been like, you know what, I'm not upset anymore. So thank you, James, for telling me not to be upset. I mean, when you read it, you're like, you know, A for effort, buddy, but, and then he's like, aren't I better than 10 sons? It doesn't help the situation, brother. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like he, he can't feel what she feels. And so it's like you're like, you know, A for effort, good job on that. But like you just don't get it. You don't get it. And Hannah's in this desperate situation, a situation probably she can't see a way out of, a situation that she didn't dream that she would ever be in, a, a situation, again, as it states over year after year, she's reminded of this every single year. Every, every single year, this rival wife continues to pester her and irritate her and brag to her about all of her children. So it's just this, con- it's not like it goes away. It's this constant reminder. Everywhere she looks in society, now, like, everywhere she goes, she's reminded of this thing that's in her life that she can't do anything about. And I think in this room, I think all of us at some point, maybe it's even in this moment or at some points we have felt this before, that you've been in a desperate situation before, a season that you said, man, this is hard. Maybe again, just to refer, there's things that you've prayed for and asked of God over and over again, and yet nothing has happened. Maybe it's, maybe it's for, for a child, barrenness, and you've struggled with barrenness and fertility, and so there's that struggle that you've felt, and so maybe the exact same thing as Hannah. Maybe it's, again, a child. Maybe it's this feeling that you feel at this moment. You would maybe act like everything's good, but you feel unworthy. It's this constant thing in your life. Maybe there's a situation that's robbing you of peace. And so I think all of us, again, there's these desperate places that we feel. And again, again, this story, it zooms in on this, this, this woman, Anna, in her desperate moment, in her desperate season, and she doesn't see a way out. I think many times we've been in the same thing. But I want you to notice what takes place, because I love how, again, the story continues. And so, yeah, I want to look at the second movement of what takes place out of this context of a desperate season, and it's this, Hannah's response. So here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the way that Hannah responds in the midst of what she's walking through. And it's just simply this. She begins to seek the Lord's presence through prayer. Look at verse 9. It says, And they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, and Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the afflictions of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall touch his head. Hannah goes to the temple, and she begins to pray. I mean, I, and I, I think you, you feel, like when I was reading this, like I think I, you feel the emotions in this story. I mean, she's pleading with God, God, please. I don't know what you have to do. Please remember me. God is miserable. It's every year it's the same thing. Please, God, just give me a son. And notice even what she says, which is interesting, what she vows to the Lord, is even like what is her insurance policy, retirement policy. She even says this, if you'll just give me a son, I'll give him right back. 
Like he won't even be mine. Just God, just please, would you listen to me and find, may I find favor in your sight? And one of the things I want you to know, I want you to notice this, and I want you to notice the way it describes her praying. So I want to read a couple phrases that it uses throughout the text. Deeply distressed, wept bitterly. Later down the road, Eli will actually see her, and it says she's just mouthing it, but nothing audibly is coming out. And it says Eli thinks she's drunk. She's not drunk. He confronts her. He's like, why are you drinking and coming to pray? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't drunk anything. Like, I'm not. But the way that she phrases is, I'm just in this moment pouring out my soul. So she begins to speak of great anxiety and vexation. Now, I want to just point something out just for all of us, just as we get to this point. I just want to point something out here about prayer that I think you and all of us can learn about Hannah and the way to pray, and that is this, that when you come to God in prayer, you must come honestly. You must come honestly to the Lord. So Tyler Staten in his book on prayer, I want you to listen to what he says. This. He says this, when it comes to prayer, God isn't grading essays. He's talking to his children. So if God can delight in prayers as dysfunctional as the ones we find wedged in the middle of the Bible, he can handle yours too without you cleaning them up first. Isn't that good? I mean, God's not great in an essay when you pray. I don't know if I, we were, I was talking to Mandy earlier about uh, tops and like I did horrible at writing and all that kind of stuff. I hated turning an essay. And sometimes that's the way we view prayer. Like I've got to make sure it sounds just the right way in order for God to grant my prayers. But notice it's this idea, just, just come as you are. C.S. Lewis makes this statement. He says, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought be in us. And this is the way that Hannah comes. Hannah comes pouring out all of her anxieties. All the things that she's working through, all her vexation, all of her struggles, all of her fears, like she is literally laying all of these things out before the Lord. It speaks of this, uh, of the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. And so let me just say this, this is a great statement about prayer. When you come to pray to God, you must come honestly. Why? Because he cares for you. You can cast your cares upon the Lord. I think any of us, when you hear this statement, well, I'll say this, reading it, you're like, oh, this is beautiful the way that she is. But I, I think, you know, all I hear is when I, when I read this, she's probably groaning beyond words, screaming at the Lord, desperate, anxious, tons of tears, saying, God, would you just listen to me? But there's something else I want you to notice. It's not just the way that she comes honestly before the Lord as she comes to pour out her heart. But I want you to know a secret of events that takes place. And I just want you to notice this timeline, the way it states it in Scripture. Okay, So Eli blesses her when she leaves. And she basically asks the Lord to show her favor. And I want you to look, look down at verse 18. I want to read verse 18, the beginning of 19. I want you to see the way it, it says. It says, She said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And it says this, Then the woman went, away, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they rose early in the morning... And worshiped before the Lord. So I just want you to notice the timeline. Because here's the way that I think about the timeline of the way it should read, okay? She prays, God gives her a child, and then she responds with joy and worship. But I want you to know the sequence of events. She prays, she's joyful and worships, and then the baby comes. And it's interesting because, again, the way that I process this and the, what just is I'm reading through it, I'm like, that seems like it's mixed up. In my mind, it seems like, oh, well, you know, you pray, you still feel bad, 
you have the baby, and then you feel joyful, and then you worship to God. And yet you see this exact opposite. She actually begins to be joyful and worship before God ever answers her prayer. Now, I want you to hear me really quick. I want you to hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying if you would just worship and be joyful, God will give you what you want. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. That she doesn't start worshiping or being joyful because she wants her prayers answered. She's this way because she already found the answer to her deepest need, which was God himself. This, this, in this verse, real time, Philippians 4. Don't be anxious. Pray about everything. And what's the promise? Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is super powerful. In this moment, I just want you to hear this. She finds what she needs most, and that is this, the presence of God. That in this moment, that she meets with God in this moment, and she walks away no longer sad, but filled with joy, and it then propels her to worship. That, 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 that true joy and peace and worth and all these things, because look, this is just the way that I feel that we can suddenly begin to think, if I can just get my prayer answered, if I can just feel worthy, if I can just get fill in the blank, then I'll have peace. Then I will have joy. If I can just get this done, if I can just move out of this season, if I can just get this answer, if I can just do that, then I'll finally find joy and peace. And notice this, her prayer has not even been answered yet, and she's already met with peace and joy, and she begins to worship. Because let me say this, I, again, I'm not dismissing anything in any of our lives of what our felt needs that we have. But the ultimate source of true peace is not found in getting you what you want. It's found in God himself. And this is what? This, in this moment, which is beautiful, even in the midst of her desperation and all these things, God meets her in this moment. And she experiences true peace. So let's move to the third movement. And I want to notice this one last thing, and that's God's response to Hannah. I want you to notice this. God's response. Look at verse 19. It says, Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped the Lord. And they went back to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, it says this, that the Lord remembered Hannah. Now, it's not the way that we think about remembering it's not like God's up there and like, oh my gosh, I forgot about Hannah. I'm glad she prayed because I forgot about her. Like it's, so, so don't think of it when it says he remembered her. He's like he forgot and then he was like, oh, I should have addressed that thing and I, I haven't. That's not what that means. It's similar to if you remember we walked through the book of Exodus. If you remember in the beginning of Exodus, it says that the Lord remembered Israel. It's not that God forgot, forgot him for 430 years. It just means this. When it says God remembered, it means God's about to act. Like God's about to do something. So when you read this, when it says the Lord remembered Hannah, it means that you're read, what you're about to read next is God is about to act on behalf of Hannah. And God does. And God gives her a son. And he names his, she names his, his name Samuel, which literally translated means God has heard. God has heard me. Now I want to do this. I want to point out two, I think, really beautiful truths that you see in God's response to Hannah and what she's walking through. And so I just want to give you these two things. First one is this. One is we see this truth about God. God is near to the brokenhearted. God is not a God that's distant, but God is a God that is near. Psalm 34, 18 tells us this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. God was near to Hannah. That when Hannah cried out in her desperation, she was met with the presence of God himself. 
Now, I think this is one of the secrets to prayer, and it's something that uh, I, I, up until recently, you may know this, up until recently, I guess I just missed it. Again, let's go back to Philippians 4, 6-7. Don't be anxious about anything, pray about everything, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But the secret to that is found in verse 5. And I don't know why I do this. I don't read verse 5. I don't know why. I just think of verse 6 and 7. Do you know the way that the end of verse 5 ends? It ends with this. The Lord is at hand, or translated, the Lord is near. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. The peace of God is surpassed all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So no, notice this phrase. The Lord is at hand. That's why you don't have to be anxious. That's why in these anxious moments you can turn to him. That's why prayer works is because of this promise. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Tyler Staten says this. He says, this is one of the reasons we struggle in prayer. He says this, the deep fear that robs our prayers of power is the lie that the Lord isn't near. The lie that God has forgotten me, that I'm not in good hands, and that my future isn't secure. And this is one of the things I think that, that many times this can rob us of this is because, again, this is the way I've said this before. You may have said this before, that when I pray, it feels like it's hitting a tin roof. Like I feel like no one's listening to me. And you may, I, it may just be me, but I would be willing to bet that you felt this way before, that you prayed and you're like, I, I, don't, I mean, I, I know God's up there, but I don't feel like he's listening to what I'm saying. And here's just this reminder that we have to remind ourselves that the Lord is near. And the Scripture speaks of this over and over again, that God is not a God that's distant, but He is a God that's close. And this is what is to remind us, to propel us in prayer, is to this reminder that God is near to those who cry out to Him. But there's another thing I want to point out to you about God, and it's this. Number two is that God works all things for His glory. Now here's something that you and I cannot miss, the big picture of 1 Samuel, and to miss the big of all what's going on. This story is, if you read through it, it's an amazing story. But this story is a whole lot bigger than just Hannah and Samuel, and bigger than just Hannah getting her prayer answered. Now it is a gift of God to Hannah, but this gift is not just for Hannah. This gift of Samuel is actually to the entire nation. And so it seems like just, again, it's this real story in real time with this obscure place in Israel, with this obscure family, and yet God uses this very obscure place and God brings about his glory and what he's going to do in all of this. That God is pushing the story and the narrative of the promise of God forward and one of his main tools and instruments will actually be this boy Samuel. That God is going to raise up this boy that comes from this barren woman. It's going to bring Israel back into allegiance to the Lord. We're going to read about Samuel as he expels corrupt leaders and priests and confronts them and brings them back to the Lord. You're going to see him anoint Saul as king. Then you're going to see him anoint the great King David. And so what seems like a very obscure story, because if you're just reading it, you're like, what does this story have to do with anything? But yet, here's what, again, this is the way that Scripture is. Scripture is not giving you every single historical detail of Israel. It's pointing in to show you God's story, to say that even though while all of Israel, like what's going to happen? How is God going to meet us? It then shows us this desperate woman and how God meets her in her desperation to solve the desperation that's taking place on this wide scale of Israel. That God moves in Hannah's desperation, Israel's desperation. And here's the good news for us in the Gospels, that God moves on our desperation as well. 
Because ultimately, and we said this last week, this story about Samuel is not just about Hannah. It's not just about Samuel. It's not just about Saul or nor is it just about King David. That God is moving his story of redemption along. And this is one of the stops along the way to tell the redemption story of the gospel leading us all the way to the person of Jesus. Because, again, this is this whole idea of sin. Because of sin, you see it in Israel. You see it in all throughout the page of Scripture. We see it in our life. Because of sin, we are desperate people. The way Scripture defines it is that we are all without hope. And yet the gospel is the God of, of all grace sent forth Jesus Christ into an obscure place called Bethlehem. And that Jesus Christ came and lived in order to save us and rescue us, that God met us in our desperation with the presence of himself, which is Jesus. Again, what is Jesus' name in the scripture? What? Emmanuel, what? God with us. Like this is this, is this whole story. And so again, again, it's this beautiful thing. You see Hannah's desperation, you see Israel's desperation, and then you're like, well, we're all desperate. And again, it's this whole story of what God's saying is that God meets desperate people, that when you seek for the Lord in desperation, man, you find him. You find his goodness, you find his peace, you find all of these things. And so really, Hannah's story, our story, that really that we're all desperate and we all need to be met with God's grace. And man, this is the beauty of the gospel is that, man, God sent forth Jesus and he is everything that we need. And so here's, I'll just say this and then I want to go through a couple takeaways for us. But I am thankful that God in his grace meets us in our desperation. That God didn't leave us in our brokenness, he didn't leave us in our sin, but he poured forth Jesus Christ to us so that we could have life and joy and peace and everything that he had promised us throughout Scripture. But here's what I want to do really quick. I want to give a couple of takeaways in all of this good just to look at this story of saying, all right, well, what's the takeaway for me? Like, like, what is it that I need to do in light of this story? All right, so I just want to give you two quick things. Number one, number one takeaway is to pray as you can. Pray as you can. Again, this, this, when I was walking through this story, it just reminds me the power of prayer and the importance of prayer. And so, here's the takeaway. Pray as you can. Tyler Satan, in his book on prayer, makes, says kind of this phrase, that, that prayer is more practice than theory. And that we are to pray as we can, not as we can't. Richard Foster, the writer of Celebration of Discipline, says this, by praying, we learn to pray. Thomas Merton says this, if you want a life of prayer, the way you get it is by praying. Mother Teresa, if you really mean to pray and want to pray, we must be ready to do it now. So here's what all the great spiritual people all throughout here, here's what they say, you want to learn how to pray? Pray. That's it. Notice when Jesus, when they said, Jesus, teach us to pray, what does Jesus do? He prays. And again, this is, again, what, what uh, I, I could just say this. I love reading books on prayer, and yet c- consistently one of the things I struggle with most spiritual discipline is prayer. And I've read a lot of books on prayer. And so let me just give you some advice this morning about prayer. Here's the takeaway. Don't leave here and go read a book about prayer. Pray. That's the takeaway. But I love, this, the, I love the phrase that he says, pray as you can, not as you can't. Meaning, if you can't pray for an hour, don't do it. Because it's going to feel like 12 years. If, you try, if you've never prayed for an hour before, you're like, you know, well, I, I say that. If God calls you to do it, listen to him. Don't listen to me, okay? But pray as you can. If you're like, you know what? I know that when I come to pray, I'm supposed to be filled with thanksgiving and all these things. But you know what? I, man, I'm beat down, anxious, and burdened. 
and I don't really feel super thankful. Okay, well then praise you can. Bring who you are and what you are walking through in season of life right in this moment. Here is the takeaway. Praise you can. This is what you see Anna do. She praises she can. She begins to pour out all that God has done. So when we pray, here's the takeaway. Praise you can. And what we will find is when we pray and when we seek God, God meets us. That's the first takeaway. Second is this. It's to find your peace and joy in Jesus. Here's a question that I just want to just propose to you just for you to think about. And that is this. Where are you trying to find your peace and your joy? Where are you trying to find your peace and your joy? Maybe this morning you feel like Hannah and you feel unworthy. And maybe everything in our world, maybe you look around at the standard or what the world says is important, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't measure up. And what's easy for us to do is then, well, I want to find something that will make me feel worthy. Or maybe you're asking, like, I just want to get out of this season. Like, I just want to get out. And so where I would find my joy and peace is if I could just get out of this. And so here's the application for us this morning is this for all of us in this room, to find your peace and your joy right now in Jesus and in who he is. Again, to remind you of what we already looked at, Hannah found her joy and her peace before God ever answered her prayer. Again, I'm not saying what we're praying for is not important. I don't want you to be like, well, James says, you know, what I'm praying for is not really important. Uh, That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying is just to notice where she finds joy and peace is not in her prayers getting answered, even though there is joy when it is answered. Peace and joy is only found in the nearness of Jesus. So here's what that means practically. No matter the season of life you're in, to rejoice in the gospel and what Christ has done for you. And just personally, this is something the Lord's been teaching me a lot lately. Um... A couple weeks ago, I was, I was running and having a conversation with God. I don't want you to hear like, this is not anything negative, but since moving into this new building, this has been a whole process, and, and you have been with us along this process. It's been a journey to see God move and work and all these things. And when we moved into this building, I guess I just thought it would all be awesome. And it is. It's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's good. But I just personally, for me, is this season of moving into the building, I've just felt like a lack of joy in my life. And I'm not saying I, like, I don't like you. It's not saying I don't like the building. Like, I've, just, I've seen this in my life. Like, I guess I thought when we moved in, I would just be surged with joy. And just, i just be honest with you, over the past, past couple of weeks or months, I just haven't felt super joyful in my spiritual walk. You know, I think some of it was, you know, throughout as we get ready to move, people looking at the building, you know, the number one thing people would always say is, man, the moment y'all move in that building, y'all are going to blow up. People are just, people are going to come from every nook and cranny of the universe just to get to that building, you know. Maybe, for sure. And I just feel like there's this been rhythm in my heart, and it's just this thought of like, all right, now we're in a new building, what next? more people, you know, all, it's like I feel like numbers have been this big thing in my head and my heart, and I'll just, just be honest with you, I was running the other day, and I just, I felt the Lord, 
It wasn't audibly, but I just felt the Lord speak to me and just ask this question. He says, James, when's it going to be enough, man? When you have 300 people, will it be enough? What about 400? Will it be enough? What about when you have 500 people coming? Is that going to be enough? What about when you start running two services? Will that be enough? And like in this moment as I'm running, I'm like, goodness gracious, I'm like about to start weep crying as I'm running. And it's just like I just have this thought of, of Jesus. Like it's never going to be enough, man. And, and again, I'm not saying I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm anti-growth, I'm anti-numbers or anything like that. But it's just it's this reality of like I'm so thankful for Jesus and the way that he meets us. In moments, it's like he just met, he's like, James, you can have joy right now. Regardless of what, who comes and who doesn't come. Like, your joy is not tied to that. Your joy is actually tied in me. And you can actually, James, in this moment, have joy right here, right now. And I'll just be honest with you, man, I needed Jesus to speak that in the depths of my soul. And I'll just be honest with you, I, I think you may be in a similar situation that you need God to speak to the depth of your soul. Because so many times we say, man, if I can just get this, if I can just get there, if I can just get out of this season, if the kids will just get a little older, if I can just get a little more money, if I can just have this happen, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just, what it is, it's like, it's like, it's just, the, and here's what you found, man, I'll say all of this, there's things that you've prayed for, and God has met you with the answer and has answered your prayer, and guess what, you still feel anxious. And you still feel a lack of peace. Like, it's like it, it, no, even if God answers your greatest desire in this moment, here's what I know. At some point, you're still going to feel anxious again. At some point, you're still going to be robbed of peace. So here's what, again, this was the big takeaway that, man, as I was working through this, just, again, whether this, this may not be for you, it is for me. No matter where you are in your season of life, that right now, because of Jesus, because of what he's done, you can actually experience true joy and true peace that surpasses all understanding because it's only found in the person, the work of Jesus. That's it. When we seek the Lord in our desperation, he will meet us with his presence and his peace. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Pray about everything. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God that is near. God, I thank you that you come close. God, I thank you that you see us in our struggles and our anxieties and our issues and God, the feelings of unworthiness and barrenness and seasons where we don't have peace. You meet us in our grief. You meet us in our pain. You meet us when sin is in our life and it causes brokenness. God, I thank you that you're, God, you're not a God that's far away, but you're a God that's near. And God, I just pray in this moment, God, for God, anyone that is in this place, God, that's been robbed of peace, God, that's feeling anxiousness in their hearts, and God, I pray you would whisper, just like you whispered to me, that you would remind them where their joy and peace is only found. That Holy Spirit, in this moment, that you would remind us that you are the source of all joy and peace. That Jesus, what we need more than anything else in this life is you and your presence. So God, I ask that you, your presence would be felt in this place. 
I pray that as we sing, as we respond, as we process and think through these things, God, you would meet us just as you met Anna and just as you met all the people as we read about in Scripture, the way you met people, that you were near to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this moment as we respond to you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.